0: welcome to season three of the yoga therapy hour podcast my name is amy wheeler and i'm your host we are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy and we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together some of the things that are happening in season three that we find so exciting is that not only are we continuing with the free gift that we are giving out every single week in season two. And you can see more about that in the show notes, but now we are adding a YouTube channel and you can see all of these podcasts on video. The YouTube channel is called optimal state with Amy Wheeler. Some people like to watch video. Maybe you want to use it for one of your trainings. These videos on YouTube will be there for you to use for free we would love your support we have opened up a patreon page that is going to help the podcast flourish and grow you can help us to expand and grow and create more content for you and we'd love for you to visit the patreon page which is called optimal state and yoga therapy hour podcast so let's go into our guest today and please nourish yourself, take time for yourself, and really relax into listening to the podcast. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. I have a very special guest today named Sherry Dostel Reba, And the thing I love about the work that Sherry does, which is around yoga therapy for sexual health and pelvic health, is that it's really specific. It's almost like within the whole person, which we of course address in yoga therapy, there are niches that people choose to become really, really well-informed at and have expertise in. And I feel like Sherry is such a beautiful example of this, that when someone comes to her with incontinence or severe constipation, or even pain in the Pelvic area, she is going to help them with those symptoms, but through the work of the whole person. So, one of the things that Sherry and I talked about is this these kind of really new, exciting breakthroughs in the field of yoga therapy, as well as related fields around fascia, around autonomic nervous system dysfunction, around Polyvagal theory and how, especially, the nervous system innervates the fascia, which then has an impact on things like pelvic floor dysfunction. And Sherry gave such a beautiful answer. She said, Yes, I study all that. I love all of of that. It's so amazing. But how is that connected to the whole person? How many hours are you sitting each day? Are you able to breathe down into your pelvic bowl and really ah, relax and feel yourself soften. What is the balance between tension and tightness versus softness and pliability in in your pelvic area? And that it is our lifestyle. It is the way we think, the way we experience life. It's that kind of automatic response of clenching up when we feel like we're in trouble or something that contributes to how the fascia is functioning and the autonomic nervous system and the vagus nerve. These things are not in isolation. And I just thought that was such a profound point to make because I have a lot of people in my yoga therapy practice that come and they say something to the effect of, do you think I should get vagal nerve stimulation? Would that help me? And I I think it's fine if people want to get vagal nerve stimulation, but that's not the end-all say-all solution. The solution is why is our vagal nerve so out of balance in the first place? What's going on in our lifestyle, the way we think, the way we experience life that is causing this? contracting and this denseness to occur in our bodies. So I just really love this interview. I hope you will too. And Sherry has a new book out that we talk about extensively. And I think even if you're not going to become a specialist in pelvic floor health and dysfunction, I think everyone just needs to know about their own bodies This is an area where most of us have just kind of ignored or have not explored for whatever reasons, and I think it's a really good way to get to know ourselves because, in my experience, it does come up with clients. Sexual health, pelvic health, pain, constipation, incontinence, shame, fear, just not feeling comfortable in our skin, especially around the pelvic bowl, it's a big deal. It, it does come up. And so I think, you know, it's an area that maybe many of us haven't spent enough time exploring. And I, I believe Sherry and as well as Shelly Prosco is another one, just are really, really beautiful at helping us understand how we can be happier and healthier in our pelvic area. I hope you enjoy this interview. I would like to introduce you to Sherry Dostel Riva. Welcome, Sherry. Nice to have you here today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really honored, Amy, to be here and to be able to have a conversation with you about all of the things we're going to dive into. It's a big honor. Thank you. I'm thrilled that you agreed. I know that you have
0: just had a really big year in so many ways from publishing an amazing book which we're going to talk about today, but also you have two daughters and a husband and I met you here in Southern California, but you have moved to the St. Croix River Valley in Wisconsin about what, eight or nine months ago?
1: Yeah, yeah, we, we left California in September and bought a house at the end of October. So, about eight months in our new location. I'm also having a, a moment of is it okay if I pronounce my name for you?
0: I would love that. <laughs> no, I will. love that. No, no, yeah, it last is name is Reba. <laughs> uh, Reba, yes, Reba. Reba. Thank yeah. you. I, I think it's so good for, for people to correct us and me. I mean, yeah. I've been for years yeah. and I never knew that.
1: Mm-hmm. My heritage is mostly German and Czech. And when I was leaving sitar, the yoga therapy conference, my taxi driver had an accent. And then as I was getting out, he said, Oh, do you know what your last name is? That's an interesting last name. Yeah. I've been told in Polish, it means fish. Oh, it means big fish. I'm from, I'm from there. It means big fish. So, okay. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I love that. Oh, yeah, it's pronounced Reba. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're now in Wisconsin. You're about 50 miles north of St. Paul, Minnesota. So tell us about this, just to get started, this move with a family across country, and landing mm. back in the homeland, I'm from Iowa. I was born in Wisconsin, and mm. I Where just are Wisconsin. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. okay. Yeah. so first of all, like, what made y'all want to just <laughs> cross country and do this? and then how was mm. the move? and
1: have you landed? Yeah, it's been mostly because of my uh, husband's career mm. that I knew marrying him meant that we would be moving. At least a few times over the course of his career so that's what brought us to california and allowed me to meet many wonderful colleagues like you in southern california we were in orange county for six years and then he was able to recently get a a position here in the midwest in the same field of work which is rare he runs a zip line and high ropes course at troll hoggins resort so Feel free to look us up if you're in the area. You can come have an adventure with us. So yeah, I I knew that the move was coming. We didn't know when. And it all played out as perfectly as it could have with a pandemic going on where I had just had mags. Uh, Magnolia is my two and a half year old. And then I have a five-year-old fern. So I was kind of fresh off maternity leave right back into teaching early 2020. And right as Italy shut down, borders were closing, Orange County was closing. Right in that same week, I got my contract for my book. (laughs) And so we went into the pandemic working remotely. Uh, Jason's job, thankfully, was intact and he was able to work from home. And that actually allowed me to write the book and have space to do that, have support to do that. And so then, yeah, fast forward another year after having really awful fires in Southern California. It feels like a little bit of a spell now (laughs) where I said, I don't know if I can do another fire season. This is terrifying. At the time, Fern was at a nature preschool out in Silverado Canyon. And one of the fires was engulfed everything around her school. Her school was Mm -hmm. fine. And it happened at night when no one was there. But just that like impact on my nervous system as a mother. I said, I don't know if I want to do another fire season here. And so I turned in my book then, uh, June of last year, we got on the flight to Wisconsin. And I think the day before Jason said, I found a job posting. I'm going to apply while we were home visiting family. He interviewed, and I think it was three days before we flew back to California. He had been offered the job so we moved we went back to california knowing we were going home to pack our things and move (laughs) and five weeks later we had packed our belongings and uh, he drove a u-haul truck i flew home with the kids and then we started house hunting and figuring out where we were exactly going to land so it's been very much a whirlwind um in our personal lives, as well as everything happening, you know, on a collective or societal level, There's just a lot of change and processing required. <laughs> so it's lovely to be in our own home. I've wanted to be a homeowner for a very long time. And this is my, this is my space. This is my office, this whole bedroom with the wood floors and the sunlight pouring in. It's, it's everything really that I had dreamed of and wanted. And yeah, being about eight months in to our time here now, it feels like I'm just kind of emerging and feeling rebuilt, reconfigured, like resourced enough through all of those changes and different illnesses that me and the kids had throughout the winter, including COVID in February. Just feels like, woof, we're finally coming out of that tunnel and enjoying, you know, now summer, (laughs) the solstice. Mm. Um, here in Wisconsin and feeling like, okay, we're here and we've landed.
0: And you're originally from the Midwest.
1: Yeah. 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 Our families are here. So we knew that we wanted to eventually make our way back here to be near extended family and parents and things. Um, yeah. and Jason and I met here in Wisconsin. So
0: mm. I don't know if people who I'm from the Midwest, you know, Sherry. I grew up in Iowa and now my parents live in Minneapolis. But mm. there's something about the land in the Midwest, the smell of the land, the smell of the rains that come through. I mean, it mm. it's so distinct. And every time I go there, I feel a connection to the earth and a sense of kind of safety and security and this deep inner knowing that I am on the land that I belong <laughs> to. How do you feel? Do you feel that way yeah. about the Midwest?
1: Yes. And like always, probably, but there, there has been this oh sigh of relief of coming into winter and I I'm very, very Pitta by nature. Uh, you may have assumed that <laughs> knowing me a little bit, so to have been in Southern California where, you know, it's sunny in 70, it's very predictable to come back now to having had like a proper winter. I feel like that allowed me to slow down and recalibrate in a way that I haven't allowed myself to, or haven't been able to for several years, aside from the postpartum window, you know, of having had two babies during that time. So to be able to have that liminal space of, just being hibernating reflecting has felt really reassuring and I've been getting in the garden lately as well and like ripping out sod and getting my hands in the dirt and turning our yard the corner of our backyard into a vegetable garden so to have the the dirt in my nose literally like smelling it and being outside for big chunks of the day it has been really nourishing as well and. At the same time, there was you know this churning of the self <laughs> over the winter season of really looking at well, what does it mean to have written a book about the pelvis and how did I get here at this point in my life and as a mother and you know place home all of these beautiful themes with the root chakra. Um, so I was definitely digging and churning and unearthing a lot at the same time as having that security of being back here and knowing that this home is ours and maybe that's why right maybe that's why there was a sense of safety or security to look at some of those deeper samskaras um, that i hadn't looked at as much so mm. it's been a milestone year as well because i turned 40 so <laughs> wow. there's, there's also that piece where it's like whoa what what, what kind of meaning do i want to make of everything that has happened
0: yeah well, I'm bringing up on screen, first of all, Sherry's website, Sherry, as in Cherry, C H R I D O S T A L dot com. And you've been speaking of this book that you birthed, and it's such a beautiful book. It's called Pelvic Yoga Therapy for the Whole Woman, a professional guide. And I got to see this book a few months ago and was just so pleasantly surprised. And it's exactly what the world needs right now is this book. Mm-hmm. So I just want to know, how did you come to begin studying mm-hmm. pelvic yoga therapy and sexuality and women's health? Tell us, like, how did that happen? And <laughs> I-, I love a, a good
1: story. Do you have one? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, I'm I'm chuckling because I I have these little daydreams lately of like pelvic floor stand-up. So I feel like there Mm -hmm. needs to be more humor. You can can try it Um, out on us. (laughs) No, we don't need to go there. Just The script isn't written. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) But yes, I have stories. And I I think so many of us come to do the work that we do from personal need or personal curiosity. Um, So the one little anecdote that I will share... Uh, is that I I went to college as a dancer. um, So bachelor's degree in dance. And at the same time, as an undergrad student, I was in fitness and wellness, worked as a personal trainer, um, group exercise instructor, like I've taught pretty much everything except for spinning (laughs) at one point in my career, and then came to yoga later, at the same time as I came to running. I had always been told don't run. It's going to ruin your body for dance and your technique is going to suffer because of the impact of running, blah, blah, blah. So after I finished my degree and was no longer performing, although I did have one little blip back into some stage work, uh, the year after I started running, the impact in my body felt glorious in some ways from running um, but, but also right but also detrimental in other ways like you know my IT band was acting up um I thought for one one season that I maybe had stress fractured my fifth metatarsal just a lot of demand that I was putting on my body and part of that was because of personal transitions that were going on with a divorce and miscarriage at that time and so for me there's no accident that I had started practicing and teaching yoga and started running before those big things blew up in my personal life and was able to stay with my yoga, stay with running as two of the kind of core practices that got me through those uh, transitions. But the anecdote though, is that when I first was running, I was walking and running with a friend and I had to stop slow to a walk and actually stop on the sidewalk in order to fart. (laughs) Like I could not pass gas while I was actually running. And I just got so like dumbfounded. Like, how is it of all the study I've done in my body of all the training that I've done personally, how is it that I can't like just be out running and like let a little toot go. <laughs> so I was like, oh, aha, I have an overactive pelvic floor. I have more tension than is needed. Can, my can I stop you for a minute? <laughs> yes, go ahead. <laughs> my, my thought while you were telling this anecdote was like,
0: well, that's strange, I can.
1: <laughs> right.
0: So interesting. Yeah, so
1: that was, that was one of the first little clues where I realized, oh, this, this is a part of my body that could use some attention and care and more embodiment. Um, And I saw all of that, a lot of that resolve and kind of unravel, Um, you know, the IT band pain, the overuse kinds of patterns, um, as well as knowing that I can now pass gas while I run, (laughs) all of that resolved, uh, the more that I dove into the bone rhythms of how the pelvis moves. And then as a result, how the tissues of the pelvis, pelvic girdle respond to impact and being able to build in more suppleness, receptivity, more clarity in my own body. So that's one of the first little nuggets. Um, Can can
0: we back up at you? I'm so curious because I'm, I, one of my core practices is also running. Great. Um, what, what, when you say the impact on the tissues, tell us a little bit about that. I think I would be interested to know what yeah. the, either your experience or the science says about that. Mm. The impact of running specifically on the tissues. Yeah, I thought or... I just heard you say that, you know, you realized that the impact running was having on your pelvic floor. Mm. That, that there was something
1: going on there. Maybe I misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's, you know, the impact of running itself, right? Like the mm-hmm. actual ground reaction forces of okay. moving across the trail or the pavement or wherever your surface is when you're running. And that can put a high demand on our system. So, for mm-hmm. example, postpartum, for me to be able to come back to running took some very diligent repatterning, retraining, and progressive strengthening, you know, to prepare my body for that impact again. What I want to be cautious about is, you know, as a takeaway, I don't want anyone listening to this to think that if you have pelvic floor dysfunction, you can't run, or that if you run, you're going to get pelvic floor dysfunction. That's not what I'm saying, (laughs) right? It's like, okay, what is it that that my body needed to figure out from an efficiency perspective so that running could feel good, so that running could feel sustainable, and so that I had more agility, dexterity in my tissues for that story that I shared to be able to have command or control, better command and control over what was going on with that part of me. I know a lot of folks love running. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things sometimes that shows up in my client work as well, folks that have stopped working out or stopped running because of their leaking or because of their pelvic pain or it feels like it exacerbates their prolapse. It feels like it makes things worse for them. And rather than kind of the blanket statement that people often get when they go to their primary care person of, oh, if it hurts, don't do that. Or if you're postpartum, don't run. Or if you have prolapse, you can't do X, Y, and Z exercises. Those are two generalized of statements, and they don't really meet people where they are. And it doesn't really show an understanding of exercise science that, okay, if this activity is your threshold or causing symptoms, what are the 10 or 12 different steps before that that we could look at to build resilience, build capacity or efficiency back in? to the body so that you can do what you love rather than just saying, don't do that. (laughs) I think there's still a long, a long way to go, you know, for fitness professionals, doctors, OBs, et cetera, to really understand yoga and yoga therapy, as well as exercise as a whole. And knowing that there's so many ways to regress and progress for each client.
0: I love that. So Sherry, that's one of the things that I've find really interesting about your work. One thing that you had written to me recently is that you would like to help yoga professionals become better equipped for both pelvic health and sexual health. And there's this kind of gap between where maybe Western medical leaves off, but maybe someone isn't ready to... Go running, or maybe they are still having some leakage problems or pain, whatever it might be. And so, are you saying that you think yoga therapy can kind of help bridge that gap between you're done with your pelvic physiotherapy, maybe after having a, a difficult childbirth, but you don't feel ready to go to CrossFit? <laughs> are you saying that yoga therapy can kind of be a bridge there to help
1: people? Women specifically, yeah. definitely, definitely, and it's it, it can be a bridge between like the quote unquote more acute care of you know a physician a surgery pelvic floor therapy whether it's PT OT etc. So it can be that transitional kind of period to bridge people from the clinical kind of. Clearance medically to then resume other activities or understand how they can get back to exercise in different ways. Uh, I think it can also run parallel, right? Um, especially with healthcare models that may not have the luxury of, you know, let's say an hour session. Like if you're seeing a PT that then you see the PTA and you get 15 minutes with them and you're in the gym doing your own exercises by yourself Versus having that real hands-on, real-time care with a provider like a yoga therapist typically could do in kind of an out-of-insurance model where we're seeing people for an hour, sometimes 75 or 90 minutes, and walking them through the experience of being with themselves and moving their body and coordinating the breath with what they're doing physically. So it's that level of care that sometimes can fill in the gaps or the holes during medical or clinical care and kind of parallel. And I've had some clients that, you know, that's been really beautiful to be able to drop in and go to their PT appointment with them Mm. and fill in the gaps of like, Oh, this question came up or while the pelvic floor physio or PT is doing their internal assessment, I'm maybe assessing you know, their nervous system state, their facial expressions, what their breath is doing and noticing some tension or dysregulation. And I can be there to coach the client or to help give them strategies in real time that maybe help that PT, their work be more effective be received more effectively. Right. Uh, so there's...
0: How do the PTs react if you are <laughs>
1: like, all right, yeah. I'd like you to
0: do that exercise, but with a long exhale, how did the PTs? Yeah, have yeah.
1: Um, I've had really good luck most of the time. Um, Generally, if folks are open to it, both, you know, the, the client or patient has to, of course, give consent and be open to it. And the provider has to be willing to welcome in someone else to their treatment space. So disclaimer, not everyone is open to that. And you just ask and see what they say. Generally, when I have been invited in, though, it's been a really positive experience all around, creates referrals and networking for more patients to get that level of care and support, that interdisciplinary approach. And again, it helps the clients embody what they're learning. So they're perhaps not there as a passive recipient to the pelvic floor intervention or or internal assessment and therapy, but they're actually understanding During that experience, I can work with my own self to drop in, to relax, to feel or sense more subtly what's going on or how my tissues are responding to the treatment. The other piece, so it could be a bridge or it could be parallel at the same time, interdisciplinary care. The other piece that I have found happens often for folks is that sometimes it comes before the medical or clinical care. So folks that perhaps have had trauma, folks that for whatever reason are not open to an internal assessment, which is like pretty common, right? There's Just last week, someone was like, I'm so humiliated. I I can't even imagine going to pelvic floor therapy and like having someone's hands doing whatever. And I said, well, thank you for being honest. And that honesty is the first step of like acknowledging you're having some experiences in in your pelvis and you could use some support. And if they're not, for whatever reason, like I said, willing to go have, you know, a clinical evaluation, there's so much that we can still do to help people and support them with their pelvic health. And And it doesn't have some
0: examples of like, (laughs) I think you know, even for a lot of yoga therapists listening and, and I, you and I had this discussion very early on when you proposed your book, like, what is it exactly that a yoga therapist is doing within scope of practice that Mm -hmm. the PT isn't doing or the psychologist isn't Mm -hmm. doing? I think it's hard for some of us to get our heads around like, well, what does she do with people? And and after I read your book, I got it. I was like, Oh, (laughs) she just does yoga therapy with them. (laughs) But, but give us some examples of the types of things that you do with people. Mm.
1: Well, one is education. I have this model out because I just had a client session right before our podcast interview. And I used that quickly. We were doing some Franklin Method ball rolling, so myofascial work. And this was an online session, right? So there's, there's an implied boundary <laughs> that I'm not in your physical space. I will not be touching you, right? So for folks, again, that that feels like a clear limit for them as a student, a recipient of yoga therapy, or for those of us wondering about our scope that's already inherent in teaching online that people have their own space we're not using touch even when i am in person of course i'm not trained or qualified to do pelvic assessment right i'm not actually touching someone else's pelvic girdle unless it's you know iliac crusts more laterally or externally there's no internal touch there's no genital touch all of that, of course, is part of our scope. So what we can do is educate people, right? Like so much misinformation exists <laughs> online on the internet, as well as still also in the healthcare system, you know, folks that maybe have been practicing medicine for decades or they're newly trained um, healthcare providers that frankly just have not had pelvic health specific training in their scope of practice. They may maybe have a general understanding, but maybe not the specificity that someone else might have if they're a specialist. So there's, yeah, there's a, a still widespread assumption that, you know, Kegels are the answer or XYZ exercises are off the table for this condition. And again, those generalizations, there's a lot more nuance and discernment that uh, we can bring in. I'm glad that you felt if you bought that from The book. I know that was part of our email exchange years ago when I was working on the proposal of like, what is the scope and how do we differentiate clearly enough that we we have some boundaries around it? So education's huge, and then awareness and embodiment is my my other big nugget for that one is you know, if if we want to help people with their pelvic embodiment and/or sexual health or any of the sort, we first do our own work around it and get comfortable with that part of ourselves. I think that's really important for anyone in a you know yoga therapist or service provider role is that we can feel, we can sense, we can unpack our own shame, body image stuff, disgust, whatever it might be, so that we feel more equipped to talk about these things. There are some differences with say a group yoga class compared to a private session, uh, whether yoga or yoga therapy in a private setting, right? We can get more specific, more detailed when someone is kind of knowingly and informed in their consent of like, yes, I'm here for pelvic health reasons versus yeah, using certain terminology in a group class that could create some disharmony or a trigger for someone even. So looking at things like bony landmarks, sit bones, everyone has them, sacrum and tailbone, everyone has them. Generally speaking, we have some similarities anatomically in the tissues, but there's also a wide range of normal in terms of what a vulva might look like or what we might assume based on someone's gender. And then, right, if we assume we might get it wrong. So inviting questions and dialogue is important. Maybe in a group setting, sticking more to skeletal anatomy as a way to cue versus tissue-based anatomy or skills-based language. Like if you can see, for example, someone in a low lunge is hypermobile and or collapsing. And then they report, hey, I get a lot of pelvic pressure. I think I have prolapse. What can I do in this low lunge? simply pressing into the feet feel how, when you press through your feet, you can lengthen up to the crown of your head. That's going to create more support and awareness in their whole body. That might also help switch on some of that deep frontline or deep core support to minimize the amount of pressure they feel in their pelvis in that posture, right? So figuring out ways to help people move better and breathe better, So if we are equipped as asana teachers, we know how to do that, hopefully. And then as you learn more about the pelvis, you'll see those crossovers of, oh, right. If I do something like this, instead of something like that, I feel a difference in my own practice. I feel a difference in my own body. That gives us information then to carry over in supporting other people.
0: You know, this conversation, it's reminding me of someone we both love, Shelly Prosco, who is all in praise of your new book. And I remember the first time I took a pelvic health yoga class with her in a group setting. As you said, first there was so much education, and I had this realization that in Western medical or even in school, like nobody is teaching us women about this really important area of our body it's almost just like missing from the literature no one's talking about it so that was my first aha like wow there's a lot going on in this class that yeah. i never even contemplated but the the one thing i remember that stood out is she said your pelvic floor extends from the bottom of your pelvis all the way up to the sides of your your hips Like it's a, it's truly a bowl. It's not just the tissues on the very bottom part. And and then when we were doing all of the different asanas and breathing and moving and feeling and sensing and becoming more embodied, I had a whole different experience of quote air quotes my pelvic floor because now it went all the way up into my glute med, my glute max, my iliosoas, like the whole bowl. I was thinking about instead of just that one little layer on the very bottom does mm-hmm. that make
1: sense yes yeah and so, so is that the kind of thing that you're talking about well yes there's a need for both you know localized understanding what is going on in the pelvis itself understanding the specific anatomy of the pelvis can be helpful and all the tissues and how they connect in there and yet, it's also part of this larger whole organism <laughs> of how we organize ourselves when we sit at our desk, when we take our walk in the morning, the way that we practice our asana or go to the gym, the kinds of movement patterns we have. And anything from the way we breathe to the way that our arches and our feet function or don't function on our behalf that it can all impact into the pelvis or the pelvic floor can also relay. Kind of through the kinetic chain so in the book i i tried to address that as best i could but, you know there's a whole chapter on pelvic anatomy a whole chapter on breathing a more specific chapter locally about kegels and mulabanda and dispelling some of the myths around those when when you are talking about sh- taking Shelley's class and your new found experience and appreciation of your pelvic bullet reminded me of two things one is the very first time I had internal pelvic floor therapy when I got off the table I I just felt so spacious (laughs) right of having had the internal work and the relaxation that then came as a result of some skillful internal touch I just felt so rooted and peaceful and like the pelvic bowl was illuminated from the inside out kind of like you said I felt like oh there's so much space in there no wonder, like, that's how a baby can get out, right? Of like, wow, there's so much space in there. And I, I think that, you know, the way that we live, the way we sit a lot, if there's any sort of roots of shame or aversion to this part of our body, it can feel so dense and congested or absent and numb altogether. Like, it's hard for people to even access attention in that part of their body or feel what's going on there. So that's a lot of the layers that need to unfold for some folks before they could, you know, go have an internal assessment or do a self-touch practice. The other nugget that came to me is from BMC. Are you familiar with BMC or Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen? Oh yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. She's like legendary pioneer. I think she's like 80. Maybe now, and I had great fortune to study with her once while I was pregnant with Fern. Went up to Berkeley for a six-day intensive, and it was so cool to be in the room with her and feel kind of the the vibe, as some people say in yoga. I don't really use that word very much, but it was a definite vibe in that room of B.M.C. practitioners. So. BMC stands for body-mind centering. It's a somatic modality or somatic movement education kind of system. And her work looks a lot at developmental patterns and embryology. And so when we look at how the legs and the two sides of the pelvis develop, and if we can then voluntarily as adults, like if I'm out walking, rather than plodding along the pavement, feeling just the impact through my heel, or... Generating the movement from my legs or hip drive, hip extension. If I let that continue all the way up into my pelvic girdle and up through my spine, it is such a beautiful, cool, efficient dance. To feel like, what if my legs start all the way up here (laughs) at my earlier crests instead of feeling like it's just from the hips down or from the knees down or from the feet down. And I think we see that maybe in our assessment as yoga therapists, we can start to see patterns in someone's gait or how they walk towards us when they show up for their session and knowing how to go back to embodiment, knowing how to lead them towards more function or more integration in their movement helps them be more efficient, helps them move better. And the pelvic tissues then benefit as a result of that.
0: As you're talking, I'm also thinking about just how much most of us are sitting even at, at the computer with Zoom and how- Here we are. <laughs> how, exactly, yeah. And, yeah. and all those tissues are just kind of holding on for dear life for hours. While we are stressed, like I might be having a stressful meeting with someone and Mm. I'm just sitting here for hours and things are getting more and more dense, as you say. And so could you tie in a little bit? I I know you talk about this in your book, but tie in the connection of the nervous system, because that's a piece that I don't think other modalities are paying as much attention to as we do as yoga therapists. Mm.
1: Yeah. So I, I, we've had talks about Stephen Forge's work and, you know, polyvagal theory just recently at Sitar. that my, my presentation at Sitar was consent and touch for yoga professionals, kinesthetic skills of dynamic informed consent. Like how does it actually play out in our whole living self? And so the, the, thing that I've been observing is, you know, earlier in my career, fascia was a big hot topic for like five to eight years. And it feels like the nervous system and polyvagal is now like the hot thing. And I see it being talked about so much more on Instagram and <laughs> all over the place online um, in a way that I didn't see even just three or four years ago. And so whenever we Kind of hook into like a theory or a system you know for me i think it's important that we can zoom out and remember that the vagus nerve is not the end-all be-all uh, and the nervous system is also not the end-all be-all right we're complex and all of our systems are functioning together either towards health and harmony or a disease process right and yoga therapy can definitely hack into, so to speak, the nervous system quite well and help people to build capacity or build that agility between states, being able to mobilize standing postures, vinyasa flow, following along and taking action. We need to mobilize in our system and knowing how to be still or get quiet or go to bed. (laughs) And I think for for me, when I first started teaching yoga back in 2007, it was very much like, "Oh, relaxation response, pacification. I feel so good because I can finally get still <laughs> or or rest." Being very Pitta, as I mentioned, and it's more complex than that, right? It's not just one or the other. Or we need the gas or the brakes. We need to you know move and be fit, or we need to restore and lay over bolsters and chant. We need all of the above and so that dynamism that we can get from a yoga therapy practice that takes the whole person into account is really important from a pelvic health perspective there's one study i can't remember who the author of the study is but the nugget from the study is that they had people watch different movie clips and you know there were peaceful images on the screen for one portion of the study and then some other imagery that was presenting stress a stressor <laughs> something scary or something frightening on the screen that they were watching and they were able to measure in the pelvic floor tissues a reactiveness or a contraction when watching that kind of imagery the the frightening scary stressor imagery and so You're right that, you know, if we're taking in what's happening in the world and internalizing that and or not realizing that it's having an impact on our physical body and physiology through our nervous system, that fear response or threat response, all the way down to our root is creating tension or contraction or a guardedness, right? And then that over time will potentially lead to less and less function because there's less blood flow, less nutrients to those tissues and less receptivity to the breath. If we're just holding and kegeling all the time, or if we're stressed and anxious all the time, or we're sitting eight hours a day and never acknowledging that we have a physical body that has needs (laughs) that could all potentially lead to pelvic floor dysfunction. And overwhelmingly, and I've talked with Shelly and like validated this with some other colleagues, Um, overwhelmingly what I have seen when talking with women and working with them is that most of us tend towards that overreactive, non-relaxing pelvic floor muscle state, like as our default, as our baseline. And I think that's in the Kool-Aid culturally, (laughs) as well as then all the other aspects of whether we're sedentary or active, whether we're body aware, interoceptively or not, whether we've had trauma in our pelvis or anywhere in our body, that there's that root security that responds to threat for very good reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, if we want to feel even just as I'm talking about it, I'm feeling my body respond. And then I said, no drop, no drop. Like I can talk about this and not have to feel it, experience it. Right. And I, I have the luxury of that in this moment of feeling safe with you. (laughs) And yet folks that have had trauma, that's an involuntary reaction in their physical and physiological self. And so learning safety, learning, belonging learning how to work in a way that we set up our desk or our chair ergonomically as well as then taking breaks and shifting for a variety of of postures or movements are all helpful. The other nugget, Nicole Cozine, who has a screening tool that I included in the book with her permission. Um, So you could look at the Cozine pelvic floor dysfunction screening tool. And again, that's all linked and included in my book. One of the pieces that they looked at for determining whether someone would have, pelvic floor dysfunction and benefit from pelvic floor therapy would be if their symptoms are worse through prolonged sitting. It's one of the key predictors. So if sitting for a long time makes your pain worse, your pressure and heaviness worse, whatever it might be, that is an indication that, oh, this part of me is asking for care. And how do I best do that? Is it through my own self-touch? Is it through yoga therapy? Is it through actually getting a clinical assessment to know what's going on more definitively? And, and there's lots of correct answers. I want more people to say yes to getting support. And then through awareness like this, they can hopefully have more tools and more awareness of what are the options available to me. I think we've, we've come a long way with that awareness across our society, but we're still, still moving towards it as well. So a lot of people that haven't been reached yet I wanted to
0: ask you, many of the people that you work with online or even in person, what are some of the common symptoms they come to you with? Because I can imagine that people are listening are thinking, do I have this? Mm -hmm. Do I need a pelvic floor therapist? But because it's so almost taboo to even talk about, how do we know like, oh, prolonged sitting makes me have a lot of pain. Therefore, I might want to check this out. Like, what are some of the symptoms Mm -hmm. That people come to you saying, I want some help here.
1: I'd say most commonly it's either incontinence and whether that's stress incontinence, I leak when I laugh, cough, go for a run, jump on the trampoline, whatever it is. So that's stress incontinence. That's the momentary stress of the cough or the sneeze that causes a leak or urge incontinence. And that's where you get that strong, sudden urge of like, I need a bathroom now. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Or frequency, like people that pee all the time just in case so that they don't have a leak. So urge incontinence or stress incontinence. And there can be a combo, a mixed incontinence as well. So that's pretty common. Constipation is like another of those earlier threads in my evolution of like... When I was a personal trainer, I would get very excited (laughs) to help people poop, (laughs) right? Like when people would come to their workout session and disclose, like, I haven't pooped in three days or I'm feeling really backed up. I can't do my core work right now because like, this is uncomfortable. That's one of the ways I started to do yoga therapy before I knew yoga therapy was a thing and helping people to move from constipation to regular, reliable, easeful comfortable daily poops gets me very jazzed (laughs) and it's really important so that we're not straining the pelvic floor constipation can also drive bladder urges and frequency because of the innervation in the pelvis as well as just that pressure against the bladder sometimes can drive that urge incontinence or bladder reactivity hormonally that's also really important right that we can eliminate whatever mala needs to get out of our system that we don't need anymore. So yeah, constipation, incontinence. And then the other one, probably that I would say most commonly with my people that are in the postpartum sort of window, which is sort of like the mirror or magnetic attraction of me going through my own postpartum and matrescence journeys in the last five years would be that people say sex hurts sex hurts and I want to be able to enjoy myself again. And how do I move from penetration being really incredibly painful back towards, you know, arousal and desire and lubrication and orgasm. So pain with sex is a pretty common one as well.
0: And if you just think about those three things and how life altering it is to have any one, two or three of those, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. That's a really big deal to be able to hold your urination when you want to, to be able to have a bowel movement every day, and to be able to have comfortable relations with your chosen partner. That's
1: mm-hmm. or with yourself. <laughs> or with yourself. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's another um, you know area of curiosity for me is when when people are dealing with pain in partnership. Mm -hmm. Right. We, what I often work towards or suggest for them is this is you. This is you, your body. You get to own your experience and have whatever experience you need, separate from all the social, emotional kind of layers of the partnership. And so, inviting people to look at their bodies, inviting people to start to touch their bodies first in like very neutral platonic ways, whether it's through simple, you know, hands to heart and belly or what I call vulva cupping, that term I got from Kimberly Johnson, so nervous system work, Kimberly Johnson uh, is another resource, but vulva cupping is just like it sounds around the front and around the back and you're literally just being with yourself (sighs) and seeing if you can land awareness down into that part of your body, which then often by default helps people find a little bit more breath, a little bit more space or relaxation, learning that touch can be okay Mm -hmm. and that they're working in that informed consent way in real time, right? So if they're doing a self-touch practice and something hurts, they know immediately and they don't have to have the conversation with a partner they can just move their hand or change their pressure with their own touch. Um, And so that, that also is in the book as well as another tool for people to be with themselves and connect with their own pelvic floor or pelvic bowl or genitals or however they identify with it, whether it's neutral to sexual or wherever in between on that continuum. And then as they restore comfort, with themselves, the partnership becomes so much easier because they have learned to trust themselves again and be able to communicate that to their partner then.
0: I love that part of the book that you have these practices that one could do just with themselves, getting to know themselves. I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. Something that is Just keeps coming to me and I thought, okay, it's not the right time to ask, but I I do want to ask, (laughs) but is this for men too, or even a trans woman or a trans man? Yes, definitely.
1: And I worked with that for a long while. Of course, there's the word woman (laughs) on the cover of my book. And so I sat with that for many months, considered changing the title so that it was gender neutral language. And yet part of my work and my journey of, you know, being the author of this book and owning it fully as like, okay, this is going to exist in the world and have my name on it. My experience is as a cisgendered woman, cishet woman, cisgenders uh, and heterosexual woman in a marriage monogamous relationship. And that's my experience. Also, the majority of people that I work with do identify she, her as female And so I wanted to honor that, my experience and the experience of the majority of students that I've worked with to date. And yet in the introduction, um, I explained that and how I sat with that decision and and worked with discernment around it. And what I came to is that in the actual writing of the book, inside the book, I use gendered language and non-gendered, neutral language, people, clients, students person. And so, yes, anatomically, there's largely similarities between a male pelvis and a female pelvis. There are obvious differences as well in the genital anatomy. And yet, even within a, quote unquote, cisgendered female population, there's a wide range of normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's some folks doing amazing activism or advocacy work around the appearance of one's vulva that... You know, not everyone's inner lips sit neatly inside of the outer lips or, you know, not everyone has the same shape, color, texture, etc. And so getting to know our body individually, right, like looking, seeing, getting to know our body, then we have a baseline. We start to learn then if something is changing, how is it changing? And that can help us get adequate care if there's some other process unfolding in the way the skin looks or lesions, wounds, whatever it might be. We can get support for that earlier if we know what we're looking for. And yeah, the art accounts on Instagram that are showing illustrations of all these different shapes, colors, textures, sizes there's a wide range of normal. And if we, if we don't know that we can feel other, we can feel like there's something wrong with us instead of just like, cool, that's what my body looks, looks like. Does it function on my behalf? Well, great. Check. Sign me <laughs> up. <laughs> right. So I think sometimes, especially with younger folks that are maybe looking at porn or maybe looking at some kind of standardized airbrushed, fake reality, (laughs) it can be really hard to understand that you are normal and your body is deserving of love, pleasure, enjoyment, good function, all of the above across your whole lifespan. So I I don't feel like that's my soapbox in this lifetime, but I do have two young girls to raise. (laughs) Um. And so how I'm doing that, not in my professional work so much, but in our home, you know, they see me change my menstrual cup. If I have a period, um, they shower with me. Sometimes we talk about our bodies. They know it's called a vulva instead of a vagina. Um, you know, and we're talking through different boundaries of like, you know, if you're touching yourself, then you have clean hands and privacy. Mm -hmm. What are the rules? Clean hands privacy, right? This doesn't happen on the school bus or in your classroom or on the playground. But if you're at home in bed by yourself and your hands are clean, you do what you want. <laughs> right. And so I, I wish that, you know, maybe more of us had those open conversations growing up. And hopefully we we are seeing a movement in that direction of more comprehensive sex education and access to care for everyone, including you know, different races, different gender identities, different sexual identities. um, And we know that access is not equitable right now. Yeah.
0: There's really such a big gap in everything that you just said. Like, it's just not talked about. I, I feel like you're, you and others are real pioneers to just come out and say, Hey, we need to talk about this. We need to work on this. Do you feel
1: like a pioneer? (laughs) <laughs> I felt myself shrink back from a while like, nah, I'm not a pioneer. <laughs> and maybe, maybe I am somehow it, at least in my, in my family to speak candidly, I do feel like a pioneer to have the small amount of knowledge that I have about my mom's upbringing and, you know, my grandparents upbringing and kind of generationally how things have unfolded for their lives. And then now somehow, My life to be kind of elevated to this more vital, vibrant, socially equipped place (laughs) compared to, you know, my grandparents and some of the dysfunction that they experienced. I'm very grateful. And I, I know that I, at the same time coming from some of that dysfunction or trauma, I know I'm also incredibly privileged and, you know, to have a bachelor's degree, I'm the most educated in my family Mm-hmm. um, And to have written a book and have my dad, you know, he had this blip for his blood pressure where he was at the VA and he was so excited to tell me that he was telling all the nurses that I wrote a book <laughs> and telling them the book title and all of the above. So,
0: yeah. Well, so and I just, I want to say, Sherry, I when I read the book, I was in shock at what an amazing writer you are. Like it blew me away. I was kind of like, Whoa! 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 This is, this is <laughs> well written. So I don't know what what English classes you took in high school or college, but <laughs> somehow you you learned how to write very very yeah. well.
1: Thank you, thank you. It's always been a part of my life. Yeah, I've, I've wanted to write books for a long time, and so when the invitation presented itself, you know, it was after a webinar with Laura Cooperman that she made this introduction for Claire and I, Claire's my editor at Singing Dragon. So I wasn't actively seeking a publisher. I wasn't, you know, going out like writing proposals or pitching book ideas or whatever. It felt very much like, here it is. It's in your lap. Take the first step and just have a conversation, just have a meeting. And that's what Claire and I did for a couple of years, really. Every six months or so, we would have another conversation or check in about the project. And so that dream back in 2010, which was, I was on my way home from New Zealand, having trained with Donna Fari, that was my original yoga certification, was her residential program. Uh, It was 21 or 23 days on site in Christchurch. And so it was so life changing on so many levels, like to travel internationally by myself after that divorce and miscarriage to be stepping into my role as a yoga professional, the whole flight home, I was getting downloads or ideas of book titled chapters subtitles, like I had all these notes, just scribble, scribble, scribble in these journals and notebooks is the long flight (laughs) to get from New Zealand back to, at that time I was living in Wisconsin again. And so this, this is not the first or only book. I don't think I'd like Mm. to write more, (laughs) but it's, it's very exciting and very humbling to have someone say like, this is so well written. So thank Mm -hmm. you for that acknowledgement.
0: I mean, the content is amazing, but the writing is also amazing. So how do people Mm -hmm. find you and your book? If they want to study with you or make a private appointment with you, what should they do?
1: so the book i imagine you can link this into the show notes and things the book is available either through amazon or the publisher singing dragon directly both of which are linked on my website or my instagram
0: and, and the um, title again is pelvic yoga yes. therapy for the whole woman
1: Ta-da! And I I just have to say to that, I didn't get to hold her. I call it her, (laughs) hold my book. I didn't get to hold her until the first day of sitar. I walked into the exhibitor hall and said, there she is. (laughs) (laughs) My copies got sent to California on accident. And so yeah, lo and behold, now I have some extra copies that made their way home to me. (laughs) So yes, get the book that is out and available the other nugget is that I'm going to be offering a small group series over the summer, just had like a happy there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, a small group series over the summer, every other Tuesday for five sessions. So folks that are wanting to do this work with support and in community with others, that is on the table.
0: Yay. <laughs> and that, it's June 28th, 2020. 20- um, yeah.
1: Yeah, this will
0: just be coming out. If you're you're hearing this, it's just going to be
1: right on the tails. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, if there's still space available, then uh, we could welcome some more folks into that circle for the remainder of sessions for that. I do have an online program and that has been radically updated since I first built the program in 2018. So it's like version (laughs) 3.0 right now as online programs evolve. And folks that do the small group series over the summer will get that online program as well to download and keep. So lots of practices and education like we were talking about.
0: So people can go to sherrydostell.com to see your offerings.
1: Yes. To get the book, to get on my newsletter list. For one-on-one clients right now, I'm doing a wait list until fall or late 2022, I really had to honor that shift capacity (laughs) with our relocation from California to Wisconsin. And now that the kids are on kind of summer break and home more, I'm in mama mode for the next couple months. So the group on Tuesday nights is the best way to dive in now. And then in the fall, I'll be opening a new long-term group container where we get to do this work more deeply together in circle.
0: Thank you, Sherry, for coming. I know that you have two daughters and a husband waiting for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so grateful that you spent this time with us today. And I hope everybody will
1: check out your new book. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amy. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and reconnect. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this wonderful interview with Sherry Reba. Two things really stood out to me that I got really excited about, and I didn't want to interrupt Sherry's flow, but I just want to put a little exclamation point on these two things, because I think they're really important to us as yoga therapists and as clients, if there's anyone out there listening that is an actual client of yoga therapy. And that is this idea that maybe early on in the development of the field of yoga therapy and even regular yoga classes most of us have this idea that i'm going to do yoga in order to get into my parasympathetic nervous system learn how to relax and that once i learn how to relax and my autonomic nervous system learns how to kind of soften and let go and then that will have an effect on my organs and my tissues i'm good to go that that the relaxation response is the holy grail and i think what many of us have now come to learn over the last couple of decades, as yoga therapy, especially as has emerged, and as people like Stephen Porges and polyvagal theory have have come to light is that a healthy nervous system is one that can go in and out of activation, meaning not just go into the parasympathetic response, but can we actually activate and bring ourselves up to play or be creative or dance or get a task done. And then can we quickly and effectively get back down into the parasympathetic to have dinner with our family? So it's the ability to move in and out of different states of the nervous system with flexibility. And I have a friend named Laura Schmauzel that kind of describes it like you're jumping from rock to rock. You know, if you're you're hiking and you have a stream and there's little rocks you have to jump on to get across the stream, that's, that's what your nervous system needs to learn how to do is how to quickly and pliably, if that's a word, be able to kind of jump from task to task and get in and out of activation and relaxation. So that's really amazing because I think as it pertains to pelvic floor health, but just in general, just to say, we want to teach people how to get up and activate and then come back down. And so that's number one, something I'm really excited about. And then something Sherry just touched on very briefly that my students in the Optimal State Yoga Therapy School are just so excited about when they they learn about this. And that is that when someone has something like incontinence, most clients believe that it's because their pelvic floor is weak. And in essence, it could be, but it's weak because it's so hypertonic and tight. So while the client is thinking about more kegels and more strengthening, that could actually be making the problem worse, right? That the more kegels you do, the more hypertonic your pelvic floor becomes, and therefore the less pliable, and it becomes weak because there's not enough pliability within the pelvic floor and then that is what is one of the major things that contributes to things like incontinence. So again the goal is to find the strength, flexibility, balance and that learning how to relax, learning how to soften through your pelvic floor, you know, working with your nervous system for relaxation response versus activation. There's something Shelley Prosco teaches which is to sit on the toilet a little bit longer after you've gone to the bathroom and just let your whole pelvic floor soften and release. That type of thing is really, really super important. So the the surprising thing for many people is that a hypertonic pelvic floor is oftentimes what leads to incontinence and that you don't actually need more strengthening like Kegels for many people. And of course, yoga therapy is individualized, and that's not the case for everyone, but just kind of a little factoid that some of you might find interesting. So with that, I leave you. I'm so happy to be back on track with the podcast. We just invited about 50 more people for this upcoming year. To join us on the podcast and many of them have scheduled already. We're very excited to host all new guests in 2022 going into 2023. And I look forward to continuing to connect with all of you each week. Thanks for being our loyal listeners. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content and that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email, welcome at the optimal Welcome at the optimal state.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at optimal state. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers, Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz.